Welcome, listeners, to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. Ewan High in nearby Chamberlain is having their first prom in almost 40 years. All nearby fire departments have been notified. And now, the weather. Cloudy with a 50% chance of hail, followed by stones. This is Dairy Public Radio. Public Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first episode of Dairy Public Radio. I am Joshua Khan, one of your hosts for the Stephen King Podcast. Joined with me is uh, Benjamin Graham. Ben, how are you? Long days and pleasant nights, Josh. <laughs> and CM Alexander. How are you? Great. How's it going? Oh, living the dream, man. Very excited to get this first episode of our podcast underway. Yeah. Uh, We're going to start things off by just kind of like telling you a little bit about us because uh, this is the first episode and you have no basis of knowing who we are or what we do. Uh, So uh, first things first, we're going to talk about the the form of our show. Like we're, the point of the show is to delve into the works of Stephen King. And actually, uh, Ben, Ben is responsible for bringing this idea to the table. Damn straight. So, uh, why don't you uh, kick things off, let us know, uh, how that came to be. All right, uh, well, I've been wanting to do this for a long time, uh, more or less just as an excuse to reread everything Stephen King has ever written. Um, because recently I, I actually started reading... Sleeping Beauties, which is his currently latest book that he wrote with his son, Owen. And it's the first Stephen King book I've read in a decade that reminds me of his, like, peak Stephen King uh, style. And I was really excited to talk about it. And I know, Josh, uh, you're one of the very few people that are as into the Dark Tower series as I am. For sure. Which is another thing I'm very excited to talk about. I could rant about the Dark Tower <laughs> forever. Um, and that was kind of the basis. And then uh, you introduced me to our third co-host, CM. Uh, I'm excited to get started. Yeah. So, uh, and the reason, obviously, CM is the perfect choice for this is uh, you have quite an interesting collection. Uh, once you tell people about your fantastic Stephen King collection. Uh, Yes, I uh, have a ton of Stephen King books. I actually got a friend of mine into the Dark Tower series because it's my favorite series. And he loved it so much that he decided to seek out a first edition copy, which I thought was nuts because those are very expensive. And I really loved and appreciated my worn, beaten copy that I'd read (laughs) probably like three or four times. So he actually found one for a pretty fair price and brought it over to my house. And I was still feeling that, wow, man, this is messed up. I'm not even (laughs) that far gone. And I don't know what happened, but about, I think it took me maybe a week, I started looking. (laughs) It awakened something dark in you immediately. Yeah, I don't recommend ever buying a first edition copy Never, because now because I have. Will take it from you. I have a. Uh, I have six bookshelves. I need them. <laughs> I have six bookshelves full of books. A lot, first editions, Jesus. signed gift editions. <laughs> it's just a. It's like a spiral of yeah. It's my only bad habit. Going down that rabbit hole pretty hard. That's mm-hmm. really funny because my collection is the polar opposite of that. All of my Stephen King books are. The hand-me-down copies my dad gave me, <laughs> uh, the copy of Carrie that I have, uh, Carrie, the book that we will be discussing today, yeah. um, is more yellow than white and <laughs> just half torn apart. I actually think that's better. That it's, is way better than the beautiful like anniversary edition that I have. <laughs> Well, I'm Humble not being brag. <laughs> it's just... Oh, I really wish my beautiful, expensive uh. first edition was just torn to shreds. It's, and no, it's and just that's, too perfect. That's you know? an entirely different <laughs> right? conversation, too. Like, do we value the you know those brand new shiny ones, or do we appreciate the ones that it's our parents good. gave us and we've beaten around a bunch? Yeah, right. I oh. have both. I have. I have, have paperback copies. I, I like something in between because literally my <laughs> copy of it is more tape than book. Like, That's amazing. It is. 
Uh, well, speaking of uh, some of the other books, what it was your guys' introduction to Stephen King? Well, do you remember what the first Stephen King book you ever read? You can start. Uh, sure, thanks. Yes, I was going to North Carolina for my brother's wedding. I was in, I think, seventh grade, going into eighth grade maybe. And we were at the airport, and I realized... I didn't know what I was going to do on the plane with my mom and grandma for all these hours. And so we stopped in the bookstore at the airport. And the first thing I saw was actually Rose Matter by Stephen King. Mm. So I just grabbed that because I needed something. And that was the very first Stephen King book I read. And that's that book I have upstairs. It's got like holes all over it. And it's <laughs> that's just cool. Beaten still up. have the original. Yeah, I did buy the signed copy that will go with it. <laughs> of, course, of course. Of course you did. <laughs> But once I read that, I was, that was it. I was done. I was hooked. I still haven't read that one. Uh, excited to get to that one. We'll add it to the list Is that the, for one, the podcast. Uh, starring Kathy Bates? No, that's Dolores Claiborne. There is not a right? movie of that one. Yeah, okay. Unfortunately. How about you, Ben? What was your first Stephen King? Um, My first Stephen King book. Uh, well, first, um, like my earliest memory of Stephen King uh, goes back to when I was a little kid, um, living in my house. My dad had a bookcase in our basement and I was terrified of the basement, uh, <laughs> which is stupid because it was a furnished basement. Like it was a nice basement, but I was terrified because there was a bookcase that my dad had all of his Stephen King books on. And I would go down there and sneak down there and I just look at the covers and, uh, a lot of them freaked me out, but the cover of it the classic, um, the green reptilian hand reaching mm-hmm. out of the sewer oh, grate yeah. with the paper boat next to it just filled my little brain with primal fear. Like, <laughs> just looking at the cover of that book would give me nightmares. And I swore to myself as a little kid, I am never reading these books. Like, <laughs> these books are too fucking scary. I do not like it. And it was... The summer uh, after eighth grade, after middle school, that I was down in the basement with my dad and looking at these books like I often would because as scared of them as I was, I was just drawn to them. There was just something mysterious and like, these are beyond me, you know? And I, I was staring at him. and my dad's like, go ahead, pick one up, read one. I'm like, no, 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 they're too scary. And he's like, they're not that scary. Come on, here. And he picked out The Stand, complete and uncut. Like, 1,500-page-long book. Like, just absolutely, and the cover with the the Jesus analog and the, the crow monster fighting. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll do it. And it took me... An entire summer, I remember I took that book everywhere, everywhere with me. My mom would take me out on errands, and I would sit in the car and read. And it took me the entire summer, but after that, I spent the entirety of of high school reading nothing but Stephen King. And, uh, yeah, that's what got me hooked. My is... God. Starting with The Stand, that's wow. great. So every other book you started reading after that, like, in one day, you're like, oh, is that it? <laughs> no, <laughs> Your I... brain was conditioned to an epic. <laughs> I, I'm I'm a slow reader, honestly. It's, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that was, to this day, uh, probably one of my favorite books of all time, The Stand. I have reread it. Three, four times, listen to the audiobook twice. I, I can't get enough. That's so awesome. good. That's killer. How about you, Josh? Um, when I was, uh, let's see, I think I was probably like 19, 19 or 20. Uh, my first serious girlfriend, uh, she got me into, into Stephen King because it's like her favorite author of mm. all time, and she has like tons of his books. Uh, as a matter of fact, when we talked about doing this show, I sent her a text immediately and was like, hey, you're going to want to listen to a podcast now. <laughs> uh, and she had recommended a couple books. And I, I want to say the first book of his that I read was Needful Things. Oh, good choice. And well, because I like I can't remember if it was either I either read it and then Needful Things or the other way around. But I know yeah. I read those two like back to back. Either because, way. 
Yeah, like, they're both phenomenal books. And I just remember, like, as I was, uh, the way Needful Things, like, the, the dominoes that book sets up from, like, Jump Street, and you can just tell, all right, something, like, is, is going on here. And then by the end of the book, it's just madness. That's the, the ending of that book. Like, the whole last, like, third of that book is just... Oh, yeah, it's amazing. great. Well, and the other thing, and, and the thing that made me the most interested in in reading more of his stuff is that uh, because Needful Things is the last Castle Rock book, mm-hmm. if I recall, and so it has references to so many other Castle Rock books. Where I was like, there was like a Cujo reference, and I'm like, I was familiar with what mm-hmm. Cujo was, but I'd never like seen the movie or or read the book. But I was like, it's prominent enough that I can pick up on it. So I wonder how many things I would catch yeah. if I just read everything. <laughs> That's awesome that, like, I, I didn't get a glimpse of the interconnectedness of the King universe until several books in. Like, it, it, that was, I, I didn't realize that everything is uh, the Tower until... I don't know, three years after I read The Stand when I stumbled onto those. So that's kind of cool that you had that from the very beginning. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts of uh, King's writing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and having, like, somebody who, like, she'd read all these books. So, like, I would be able to be like, hey, uh, so this is weird. And she'd be like, oh, this is from this book. This crazy thing happens. And I was like, what the hell is going <laughs> on? Like, just super, like, into it right away. Isn't Rose Matter, like, heavily connected to the tower as well? Yep, there's some elements, and I don't want to spoil anything since you haven't <laughs> yes, that one. Please, please. It's awesome, but yeah, that is one. I oh. think it, I would, I think you could make the argument that it's in a lot. I, I even carry. Man, I'm super yeah. excited to, like, I, I know you've got something to talk about with that, so I'm very excited yeah. to get to that well, uh, later good. on in the show. Um so that's, you know, that's who we are. That's how we got here. Um, before we jump into our, our book club style discussion of part one of Carrie, because we're going to split this up into two parts. Um, so this episode will be the introduction from us and then part one of Carrie. So uh, if you just want to stop the podcast right now and go read it, if you haven't read it, just read Highly part recommended. one. And we'll Good just, we'll be here Wait, when you get back. They, they haven't already read it. Well, I, Why haven't you guys already read it? I don't know. Didn't I, you know this podcast was <laughs> <laughs> didn't, you you pre, didn't you conceive this podcast would exist and it would start with Carrie? Mm-hmm. Uh, so before we get into Carrie, I just want to do a quick go around of, is there any book that we are going to do uh, that you are super looking forward to? Like Ooh. that you can't wait for the the other two of us to read it? Because I have probably the, the least uh, knowledge about Stephen King books. I've definitely read the fewest between the three of us. So most of the things we'll read are probably going to be new to me. Like Carrie, this is the first oh, time I've I ever read you. Carrie. <laughs> I envy you. Oh, God, so many. Um, I... I said I asked for one, Ben. <laughs> one. Well, that's too bad. Um, as much as I am excited to reread the classics, like It, I haven't read in years. I, I'm very excited to go back through that. And uh, The Stand, one of my favorites. I'm more excited to read some of the the lesser-known ones. Um, Stuff like The Dark Half. His, like, really weird, kind of angrier books. Uh, The Tommyknockers. I'm I'm very excited to go. Have you ever read The Tommyknockers, Sam? I have not, no. You haven't. Uh, It is... The strangest book. Uh, it is, without spoiling anything, bonkers. It is... <laughs> Solid review. It is cocaine in book form. It's crazy. That was um, Max Overdrive? Uh, yeah, it's it's that nuts. Um, so I'm excited to read that. And then, on in a different vein, I'm very excited to talk about how much I hate the book Under the Dome. <laughs> I Good. All right. Really, really, really dislike that book for a number of reasons. It'll be fun to talk about. Yeah. I've read none of those, so that'll be fantastic. Right. CM. Oh man, I'm okay to make. I said long... one. Goddamn. I know. <laughs> okay. okay, here's my one. Well, obviously there's Rose Matter, and then there's Long Walk. Uh, 
Tears of the Dragon? Uh, Eyes of the Eyes Dragon. Eyes of the Dragon. I don't know why I always say tears. Flag um, is in that book. And, oh shoot, I just lost it. Oh no. Uh, just a ton. <laughs> so many. Too many. Basically every book that's on your shelves. Yeah. Oh, I got it. 112263, which is more recent. And Ben, mm. I believe you have not I read have that read yet. that. Oh, you um, have, you have, yes. I have some opinions on that. It, so. which, that's okay. It, <laughs> I don't know why I just it, that one something about it got me. I I loved it until the ending, and oh boy, do I have some opinions about uh, Stephen King's ability to write an ending. Um, <laughs> oh, fantastic. yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, cool. I don't remember the end. Well, I don't remember the ending of Carrie. Yes, I remember the ending <laughs> of Carrie, but not in great detail. So uh, next episode will be fun. Yeah, it'll be very exciting. Like I know the story because I've seen. Uh, like every iteration yeah, pop of pop culture movie. in the past it, 40 years exactly but i was i'm excited to like see how it's actually written yeah uh so with that why don't we go ahead and jump into into carrie let's uh Great. let's knock this out so uh first thing uh I, we should talk about the style of carrie because again i had never read it mm. so when i started reading this i was instantly like what is happening yeah. Because it's t- it's told in that that style of, you know, this is what's currently happening. These are books written about what's happening, not even necessarily about the incident, but about telekinesis. Uh, what mm-hmm. did you guys think about that? Oh, wait, sorry. Before we get to that, you you guys have both of you read this book before. Yes. Ben has. Years and yeah, years and this years This is ago. my third time, but it's not one that sticks in my mind for some reason no um if i were going to for reasons other than a podcast reread carrie i would reread firestarter instead like uh there that's (laughs) just a very similar uh kind of content and ideas but more actiony sure aren't though because they're like both based around like 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 mental superpowers right they're both like X-Men books. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. Perfect. All right. So I'm the only one who had no idea what I was getting into. Yes. <laughs> All right. So uh, what is, what's your guys' take on, on the style of the, the format of this book? Um, I, I like it. Uh, it definitely reads like a first book, I think. Um, famously, Carrie is Stephen King's first published novel. And, um, it, the, the format of the, like, found articles is, uh, slightly jarring, uh, especially in the copy I have, where after the, um, the, the article segments, there's an ellipsis and then it just goes right back into the present day telling of the story mm-hmm. And maybe it had something to do with me reading it for reading it at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but there were several times where I did not realize that the newspaper segment had ended, and now we are in present day, and the tense made me go, "Wait, wait what?" Like <laughs> not it, it just threw you. me off. Yeah, <laughs> several times I was like, "Wait, who's talking right now? Who's?" Uh, well, yeah. especially when it jumps from an excerpt from Sue Snell's book to her narrative yeah like oh wait what is happening right now yeah a little confusing uh all in all i like it what do you think yeah i would agree there were a few times that i kind of had to go back and reread a paragraph because i didn't realize which who was talking yeah um i did think it was interesting i have read a few other books that use that similar style with a lot of interviews or journal Mm -hmm. entries and i've seen it I hate saying this because I'm not a writer and I don't like to say things like this, but I've seen it done better there. And obviously this was one of his earlier ones and it's amazing. But uh, I think that I do really enjoy that style. It's just pulling it off successfully can be a challenge sometimes. Yeah, I I have definitely read stories that are written as like journal entries or whatever. Um, But switching back and forth Mm -hmm. between... Journal entries, and then just regular prose, I think. I would have preferred it if he had gone all the way, where it was all told in, like, this happened in the past and whatnot, uh, rather than switching back and forth. Well, but if you if you do that, then you lose all of the 
the internal monologue, which is another thing that this, this book does. Mm-hmm. Not And not just with Carrie. Like, I would have assumed her character is the only internal monologue we would get by the way the story goes. But you, there are several characters that you get that, that glimpse into their little bracketed but, uh, what's in their head. I don't know. It, it kind of goes against, like, yes, you lose that uh, inner monologue. But I feel like um, it could have worked better because there are several points in the the journal entry, book entry parts where they set up something where they're like, we'll never know how this happened because we weren't there. Right. Oh, never mind. Literally the next three pages <laughs> are explaining what happened. And it kind of like, if there had been that element of like, um, and uh, what, what's it called? My brain is failing me. Like, uh, uh, an untrustworthy narrator. Okay. What yeah. a, what's Unreliable that called? narrator. Unreliable narrator. Yeah. Thank you, listeners. My brain barely works, so <laughs> you're gonna have to bear with me uh, sometimes. Uh, it, it could have added that, like, what's true, what's not. But when it goes and sure. it's like, well, then Carrie floated her bed around the room, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Got it. That makes sense. No, yeah, I understand that. I, I do like... The fact that it's it's almost like a, a mystery novel in some ways because of those articles where it's like you know <laughs> what what was the the true intention behind something uh, we'll never know because we weren't there and then like that being like a clue of like all right so like this is getting me in the mindset of like we're about to explore. Mm-hmm. Like, the real decisions behind yeah. that. Um, Just like a mystery novel where within the first few pages they go, she was telekinetic and killed everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Before the days of spoiler alert yeah. at the top of the page. All right. That's, uh, Sam, any, any further feelings as far as the, like, the, the monologue, the internal monologues and, and narrative that way? I, I did like that. Um, I just, like I said, the only thing that I got hung up on was that the different voices if you will were not mm-hmm. distinct enough for me to always recognize them yeah it's yeah. different definitely I, I do have to say though as i was reading this like um i would like get a couple chapters in and i was like wow like this makes sense like it makes sense why this book was so successful having mm-hmm. never read his first book i'm like now i get it i get why mm-hmm. he was such a huge hit because this book oh, is great like yeah. the, the super storytelling compelling. yeah uh, and also, I as I just found out as we sat down to record that this book was written in the future, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> so it was it was actually published when nineteen seventy four, but written. Correct me, Ben, if I'm wrong. Nineteen first nineteen seventy nine is when it is when place. it takes place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and his wife. I want to add that part too. Um, had to convince him to rescue it from the trash yeah. is what I've also Tabitha. heard. Shout out to Tabby. <laughs> That's fantastic. If you're listening, <laughs> yep. thank you very much. Friend of the show. Friend <laughs> of the show, Tabitha King. <laughs> Oh, Tell your husband, we say hey. Right, yeah. No, and that was the, that totally threw me, because in my head, I was like, so the, the books, uh, the first time you see each article or each book, it always has, like, the published date, mm. and it has all that information. So as I was going through and I was making my notes, I was like, all right, the furthest forward one I, I was seeing was 86. So in my head, it was like, all right, so this was probably written mid-80s. And then to find out that it was yeah. almost 10 years earlier than I assumed no, it was. By, like, by the mid-80s, Stephen King had written 40 books. Like, <laughs> See, I don't know anything. I don't is... know anything about anything. So I'm <laughs> learning so much in this show. All right, so you guys ready to jump into the, the story? The yeah. very uncomfortable beginning of this the book. The most yes. uncomfortable intro scene in anything? I well, I, I don't know, because I still have not gotten my first period. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody tell her she'll burn down the gym. Um, I okay. So something I read online uh, while researching that I think is kind of crazy is the origin of this book. Um, Stephen King had been writing for a while. He'd written a bunch of short stories that he'd sold to like men's magazines and stuff. But the origin of this book was a bunch of his, like, readers and friends and whatnot were like, all your stuff is so, like, hyper-masculine and violent, but you can't write about women. And he's like, oh, yeah? Well, watch me. And this is what happened. <laughs> a, like, a he's like, pelting tampons. Yeah, I know women. They have 
periods and get really angry about it. That is the weirdest part of like this opening gambit. Is everyone's reaction? She got her period, and I'm furious. Like maybe I don't understand women, but uh, that's a. Stephen King's got some weird views about women. I think. A lot of male authors do, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, that's very true. Now, I every time I like, and I said this before, every time I've seen this in in pop culture, reading mm. it, like, because it goes for like twenty pages, mm-hmm. like it is not a short beginning where all this goes down, and it's it feels very um, uh, Lord of the Flies to me. A little mm. bit like be, in the the way it escalates to an incredibly unsafe place like. so fast where at first it's like, this is inappropriate. This is like, you feel really bad. Mm. And then all of a sudden you're like, this is not safe anymore. Yeah. Something terrible. If like nobody stops this, it is game over. And so that, that always that was very, uh, very compelling as well as uncomfortable. And I thought that was a, a really strong lead in. Um. One of the weird things I think uh, about the beginning, one of my notes was like, does Stephen King like Carrie? Because he is like, that is a great question. He is writing uh, from the perspective of all of the girls that are torturing her. But all of the descriptions of Carrie White, especially in the beginning, are brutal. Brutally terrible. She's described as uh like bleeding bovinely mm-hmm. and like Jesus Christ. Uh, does Stephen King have any sympathy for this character? Later on, I think maybe a little, but or maybe he wanted us to feel the disgust that the characters felt for her in that moment. I guess. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Like if if we are if we were to take it uh like just on his word that all these people are just always so terrible and it, they've established pretty much every time they mention it, that Carrie has done nothing to these people. Mm-hmm. She is just the person getting picked on for virtually no reason. So I think it's like trying to stack the deck against her to give her as many unlikable, like those people that are like, I don't know that person. I just don't like, I don't like their face. Yeah. I don't like them. They seem like a jerk. It, it like, changes later too. Mm-hmm. You kind of get it. You're like, wait a minute. I thought, Oh, so she's not this yeah. hideous creature? Because when, um, what's his name? Tom, is uh, it Tommy? Tommy. Tommy. Yeah, yeah when uh, later on in the book, Sue Snell feels bad about what these girls did and convinces her boyfriend to ask Carrie to the prom. Like he, it's like he's describing a different person. Yes. Yeah. And um, it's, it's jarring. Like, uh... It's almost the first time in the book that you, she is described as not uh, at least a little monstrous. Mm-hmm. Because even when she is alone, she's described as having this, like, she terrifies her mother. Well, her mother's a piece of shit and deserves to be terrified, but that's <laughs> another topic. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of a 360 very strange yeah well now so uh and i don't know if i'm pronouncing this the the teacher uh oh yeah how do you how do you guys pronounce your name no De- idea desjardine desjardine yeah miss d yeah well that'll be much better um like when she comes that comes in and slaps her across the face in the yeah. shower like where it's Whoa. like all right an adult's here something's gonna happen and then she just hauls off and just bam and well I'll, it is the 70s it is the 70s so you gotta it hit is, women in the 70s it is the cure for hysterics everybody knows every movie where someone's hysterical they get slapped in the face that's the cure no for hysteria. comment <laughs> am i right ladies and the the fact that it uh i'm like pulling from the book that it says that she hardly would have admitted the pleasure the act gave her. Like, even the teachers, like the people who are responsible for her, naturally don't like her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in, in that first bit, that first scene, I had written in my notes, who's the villain of this <laughs> book? Okay. Because within the first 
30 pages? The answer seems to be everyone. There are no good guys in this friggin' book. Well, that, that's not necessarily true. Well, oh, the, the, well, okay. Here's, yeah. Okay. Here, well, here's the thing that, that I noticed. Um, it, like, jumping, like, for the uh, the assistant principal, Morton. Yeah. Like, so, we have we have that scene where, where they're talking and he forgets our name. Um, and real right, quick, Cassie. can I take a sidebar? Um there is one of my favorite things about King is he has, uh, I, I'm sure, CM, you know, he has uh, a certain way of writing slang. He has Kingisms. Yes. Where he will say someone's, describe someone in such a way that no human being has ever said anything <laughs> ever. And in that scene, um, he is describing the assistant principal, and he describes. He says the principal thinks of himself as a really nice guy, but I'm sure the other students would describe him as quote that real ass jabber. <laughs> That's not a phrase, Stephen King. Uh, he does that a lot. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, That's. It, I think of Christine when you say that. I was trying to bring back shitters, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll just turn this into common language for our podcast going it's forward. Beep, beep, beep Richie. As, no, as not jabbers. a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we we have you know that that scene, and he sends her mm-hmm. home, uh, and that's the point where I kind of noticed on my my second read through to prepare my notes uh, was that everybody is awful to Carrie when she's around when she when Carrie's mm. gone oh yeah the, as soon as she leaves everyone's the, like she's not talk, that bad well the the talk that that uh, Morton and, and Miss mm-hmm. D have is like you know they they have her back like they're like trying to figure out what to do about this and then like Miss D later with the the detentions and, and mm-hmm. like the punishments yeah. that she's putting on like the people around her and then Sue obviously with what she does like the people are trying to they, they want to do right by her, but for some reason, just when she's around... They're not showing that kindness yeah, to her. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. Well, that's... My argument is good intentions doesn't make a good guy. Like, Sue okay. is like, I, I need to uh, be absolved for this. I want to make penance. But she doesn't fucking go to Carrie and be like, sorry, at any point. Right. Her, so, her plan is overly elaborate. I, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm totally with her. I'd rather someone send me a hot dude than just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair. Fair, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, at best, this uh, book has an okay guy. That's, that's sure. it. But Although everyone when, else is a villain. When uh, Chris's dad comes in... Sorry, yeah. I'm just jumping ahead. Threatening in the that scene is awesome. Was it the principal or vice yeah, principal? That was the uh, principal. Principal Gale. Yes, when he stood up to him, I, and I couldn't oh, remember man. how that went, and so as I was reading it, I think like my heart rate was mm-hmm. kind of going because I was like, "Yeah, get him, oh. stand up for it." <laughs> King is so good at writing characters that you just want to kick their throat in. Like <laughs> <Right>? he's <laughs> yes. awesome at it. And that's such a short scene, but you're like, I fucking hate that guy. Oh, it's God, yeah. great. Well, and it's great. Like, I expected I expected that scene to go the Definitely. entire other way. Mm-hmm. Like, I expected the, the lawyer to come in and just walk all over him. And then he just starts firing those shots off. And yeah. he, like, lists all of the, the disciplinary things. And then is like, that's just your daughter, by the way. Like, that's, <laughs> that's not a group of people. That's your bitch daughter. Oh, and Chris is uh, another one of those characters. Mm-hmm. She's just so fucking pointlessly evil. Yeah, like, she has no redeeming qualities yeah. whatsoever. Margaret is takes it though. She's, oh yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> it, Let's talk about Margaret White. Like, yes. Well, because after this, we we get our first excerpt from mm-hmm. the Shadow Exploded, mm-hmm. which is the of the of the books that he references. It's mostly the Shadow Exploded mm-hmm. and My Name Is Susan Snell. Like yeah. those are the ones that are most commonly uh, commonly mentioned. And so that's like the the note that I made is as they're talking about Carrie's birth that she the the police arriving to see her in bed holding the baby with a, with knife. a knife with a knife yeah and then basically says that because margaret white is who she is 
that she blocked ever having sex out of her mind. Yeah. Thought she had cancer. One of that is, I wrote that down. (laughs) Margaret White thought Carrie was cancer. Mm -hmm. That's grim. Yeah. That is some dark shit. Uh, and that really informs, like, a lot of the book. Yeah. How she was treated. How mm-hmm. Margaret thought of Carrie right. is she was a cancer on her life. Yeah. She was Ugh. evidence that Margaret was a sinner. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's Fuck. crazy. That woman, the only other character he's written that has infuriated me as much as she does is, I can't remember her name, from The Mist. I was oh, just yes. about to say, oh yeah, religious fundamentalism wanna... oh. is like a recurring theme uh, mm-hmm. in his books. Um, I don't remember, it's been a very long time since I've read this book, but The Dead Zone... Um, there is a segment about, uh, Johnny's mother who is going senile and starts becoming very Margaret Mm White-esque. And he writes that character so well and, uh, so evil. Yeah. I I can't even... It's that conviction is like like the most evil thing like it's Mm. it's not even like, yes, the, the religious fanatics that he writes, but then there are other villains that just... His best villains are the ones that believe they're doing the right thing. And that's the most dangerous thing you can be. And are real. This is a book about a girl who destroys, spoiler alert, destroys (laughs) an entire town with telekinetic powers. Ben, did you read ahead? (laughs) Uh, It's about this girl with like Phoenix Force style (laughs) mental powers and the scariest thing in the book is this insane woman mm-hmm. who is just uh, beyond, beyond sanity. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, There's no coming back from, yeah. from as far as she has gone. Like, the, the, you can't return yeah. from the level of crazy that she is. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no... Helping someone like that. There's no changing someone like that. Which is why I think uh, when we were discussing Carrie uh, in our first meeting before we started this, Josh, and I said, uh, the scene uh, that sticks out in my mind from the first time I read this book the most is the scene with the rocks. Yes. Uh, And you're like, really? It's not the scene at the prom with the blood? (laughs) The scene that literally everyone knows? I said, no, it's the scene with the rocks just stuck in my mind. Rereading that, it was uh, the scene for the readers where, um, as a little girl, Carrie uh, sneaks into a neighbor's backyard who's wearing a two-piece. Estelle Horan. Good notes. Thanks. Um... (laughs) And says that uh, she'll never get boobs. She'll never get her dirty pillows because only you only get boobs if you sin. And then rains rocks down on her house because her mother flips shit. And that scene is so uh, just iconic. The way her... I, I agree with you completely. And for me, that felt iconic and, and more um, devastating than the prom scene. Uh, because it was easier to see that as something that could happen in real life not the Mm. stones but that obvious child abuse going on there and it's just like the the character says who's the whatever her name is susan says (laughs) it's estelle yeah that's it uh she say it's she didn't do anything because it was too real Uh, Mm and she didn't she her mother and her just watched as she heard uh margaret yelling get in your closet Um, and a 300 pound table came flying through the window. <laughs> okay. That was just, yeah, that was <laughs> that's bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's just too real. The abuse is, uh, what makes this book so like icky feeling. This book is kind of icky feeling. <laughs> is that just it's me? It's kind of gross. Yeah. No, it, yeah. It doesn't leave you with a great feeling it's... every night after you put it down. <laughs> yeah. I believe, uh, Wikipedia, super great source. Friend of the show. Uh, <laughs> friend of the show, Wikipedia. 
Uh, tell your husband we say hey. Um, says says uh, King describes it as raw and uh, raw and quote with a surprising power to hurt and horrify. I think that's a super great way to put it. That is a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> well, like the when she she comes home when Carrie's mom comes home. Because they say that, you know, the, the school called and, like, you would assume that, you know, she's obviously, we've, we've established Margaret is not a friendly or compassionate person. Mm-hmm. But you would assume you get a phone call that your daughter was, you know, insanely harassed. Yeah. And was, like, sent home. And the first thing she does is walk across the room and backhand her across the face. Like, it it's just... That short, that shift, like, I didn't know what to expect, but I did not expect to come out of the gate with a backhand to the face. Yeah. Can we talk, while we're talking about that scene, uh, how fucked the closet is? Dude. Um, I looked up, uh, when, when it's describing what's in the closet, it's, yeah. uh... It says hung in the closet is this tract called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And I was like, that sounds bad. What's what's that? And I looked it up. And what it is is a, um, a sermon from like colonial times, like colonial America. And essentially what the sermon of the sinner's hand in the hands of an angry God says is, um, if you are a sinner, God fucking hates you. Uh, you are cursed to hell, not only in hell, but on earth, uh, that as a sinner, your life is a literal portion of hell and at any second at any time for any reason god's gonna fucking kill you (laughs) wow and that's terrifying yeah and how old was carrie in the in the rock scene she was three no five in in the the rocks was she three she was three okay jesus christ she has been thrown in and locked in a closet regularly since she was three years old with nothing but a tract that says, God will murder you. Okay, I'm about, to get, shit. I'm about to get oh. real, you guys. All right, let's oh, do okay. this. Um, I, I grew up in a religious family. and there was Condolences. A, thank you. There was a period of time where we went to church like three times a week. And I remember... Um, being so terrified sometimes because of all the more like Old Testament style fire mm. and brimstone were all horrible talk. I I would literally, I thought there were demons under my bed. I would leap from my doorway to my bed so they couldn't get me. It was like when I was no. maybe five years old. So, of course, I thought insane things. Mm. But sure, monsters exist. That, so reading that was kind of like, Ugh. took me back, made me feel... <laughs> Oof. A bit traumatized. <laughs> Made you real happy you didn't have a closet like that in your house. Yeah. That was the, yeah, no, that was it was the important like takeaway. That, but just, it was just really interesting. Well, I'd like to lighten it up a little uh, by <laughs> asking on. you guys this question. Uh, I may have referred to it earlier today, but the question is Is Carrie X Men fan fiction? <laughs> yes or no? My vote? Yes. I mean, yeah, it, it is. It, it, I mean, it is a, a dramatic origin story of it, well, Carrie's powers, the telekine- telekinesis. It is described in the Shadow Exploded, or I think there's one that's about telekinesis. I, I forget what genes. it's called. Yeah, mm-hmm. where it is a genetic disorder mm-hmm. that expresses itself at puberty by uh, stress. An extremely stressful situation. That is literally how the X-Men get their powers. So, Carrie's an X-Man. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. She <laughs> She's a mutant. Well, she would have been. And, yeah. well. <laughs> Spoiler, Spoiler uh, alert. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's my theory. No, that's, and yeah. I would like everyone to read my fan fiction that I will be dropping <laughs> online after this. Uh, in which... 
at the prom, Wolverine shows up. <laughs> I, 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 I love that. <laughs> it, make, it makes him the only other survivor. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he just crawls out with his skin's keep, growing back. He keeps ripping his arms off, and he's like, Wolverine! <laughs> I've read the X-Men. <laughs> I know what he says. <laughs> yep, that's classic Wolverine dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for your fanfic to be uh, Carrie's entrance into the Dark Phoenix saga. <laughs> <laughs> Jean Grey is gaining all these powers and then Carrie flies in. <laughs> oh, shit. I'd watch that movie. Carrie becomes the Dark Phoenix instead. <laughs> As if she wasn't destructive enough. Oh, now, man. um... So, uh, since we're, like, still kind of talking about the, the house a little bit, the the description... That she gives of, like, the closet is obviously terrifying. Yeah. But just the description of the house, like... The is... the ivy that looks like a hand coming out of the ground, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, well, and then, like, the giant crucifix oh, and Jesus, all of yeah. the, the religious the... iconography mm-hmm. all around. Uh, I think she, she says she has some in her room, too. Yeah, but There's it's like... all, like... Is it uh, the one with the, the lambs? The lambs and... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the tamer stuff. Yeah. But the fact that her living room has all of these visions of, uh, I forget which ones they mention, but uh, all of the more uh, gory scenes from the Bible mm-hmm. is pretty messed up. Well, and they, th- they describe the giant crucifix, like, it's almost like a life-size crucifix. In that, mm. in like in their living room, <laughs> this is a massive, four foot tall crucifix. Yeah, Jesus. something it, you'd find in a church in their living yeah. room, right? Well, and and this is uh, when she gets home. Uh, I, I highlighted this in the the clothes, like when she she's undressing, and the list: uh, her blouse, her knee length skirt, her slip, her girdle, her petty pants, her garter belt, her stockings, and then she just staring at this pile of massive clothes. Yeah. It's like so much, uh, so much of this. It's it's a small detail, but it, it says to me like everything in her existence weighs her down, mm-hmm. and not, it's mm. the emotional and the physical, like everything, it's no matter the angle, is just piled on her, and she carries this weight all the time. So when she when she feels that lightness, and it's always immediately after that. Every time that she she gets kind of like a chance to breathe mm-hmm. is when she she grows like mm-hmm. every little time because that that's that's when also when she starts you know flexing and mm-hmm. and starts and, moving things around. Uh, there's uh, some of the theme of sex in there too because as soon as she takes it off, she describes her nipples in detail. <laughs> yes, uh, but that's it's how kind women of... think, by the way. Is I'm that... always like, oh, my nipples. Yeah, totally. <laughs> he nailed it. That's, that's how that's, we always have this internal monologue yeah. going about our but, nipples. But I mean, it, it, is, it ties into the theme that one of the themes of this book is sex is evil? Question mark? Or if it's not evil, it's... Carrie sees it as evil. Or and it's... is womanhood evil? Ooh. Oof. Yeah. Come on. Uh, Let's go down that rabbit thing. hole, Sam. Well, there's uh... actually another uh, thing I read, also on Wikipedia, that on uh, in an interview with uh, King, oops, clicked on the Spanish Wikipedia. <laughs> that doesn't help. He says, <laughs> Es una Um... <laughs> He says that he wrote this book to be about feminism. What? Yeah. Well, think this this book was the, written in the, the mid early 70s. Yeah, the early 70s during feminism? the uh like uh women's rights movement and he was like, "Yeah, I wrote this as like a man's perspective of what feminism means." And it's like, "Uh-oh." Uh-oh, what you saying there, Stephen King? <laughs> Take that back. Uh, would, you, would, you, would you kindly? Yeah. Well, Stephen, is, you know, if, if women become powerful, they will uh, menstruate and then uh, burn a school to the ground. <laughs> like, what? Uh, don't know what you're talking about there, Stephen King, but... Well, and it's not just with Carrie. Like, the, um, who is it? Uh, Tommy and Sue, when they're having sex. And, like, mm. they, like... It, at first, they, it's kind of like an adorable, like they're they're figuring it out, and there's that kind of like ah, oh, that's you know young love and stuff. And then the the line that I highlighted of the idea that she had to let him fuck her, oof, because he was popular. 
and she was popular. So to be well, she is like railing couple, against that though. So I guess uh, that's, that's it, good. It's it's, just, it's it's just before she starts making that turn to feel bad about stuff. Like yeah. that's where this conversation happens is just after they have sex and she says that. Cuz there's it, none of them are in control of their own sexuality. Mm. It's yeah. thrust upon them like ah, to their true. complete surprise or they feel obligated to provide it and then they or they use it to try uh, to take control and then everyone dies is that the point that <laughs> he's trying to make is that sex kills sex is bad okay that, that makes sense i think i think we nailed it yeah i think i think we finally <laughs> we got to the bottom to of this it. is really all about uh, so then we the the scene with with Sue and Tommy and that's this mm. is where the ball gets rolling uh, about like the, where where her plan starts forming. She doesn't lay out the plan here, but it's where she you know Tommy actually t- talks her into like you should if you feel bad you should do something about that. Which I also like made me really like Tommy mm-hmm. immediately is that he was not. She describes him. Uh, as you know, while she's talking about the sex, like she's talks about, talks about the superficial, the popularity mm. stuff. And then in that conversation, he is, becomes a real person. Like he's like, they're having that one-on-one conversation and you're like, Oh, he's, Oh, he's Tommy's kind of a good guy. Yeah. yeah. The guy, <laughs> there's, there's one good guy. It's a guy oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the story about feminism. <laughs> the guy's the good guy who talks, hey. who talks sense into his, his hysterical post-coital girlfriend. Yeah, I think there is a line where he says, she's like, oh, but it's, it's you're just Mr. Popular. And he's like, hey, you're the one all hung up on being popular. I'm just a cool guy. <laughs> uh, I'm just Have I mentioned cool. this book is kind of <laughs> icky? Like, well, and I, I can't remember which uh, article or excerpt it is, but... His motives or his kindness is then questioned. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Because uh, Sue says something in her book to the effect of like, Everyone he was... did it because he loved me. And they're like, how do you know? And like, well, he told me. And if you knew Tommy, you'd know that was enough. Yeah. And it was like a, a nice, a simple thing of like, uh, a good way kind of to inform the character. Because I had that question too. I was like, I wonder what Tommy's, what his real like motives are. How mm. does he really feel? And like that just little bit just like made me take, all right, everything Tommy says, I'm just taking it at face value. And that's another part of what I was talking about of that unreliable narrator mm-hmm. that is just instantly shoved aside. <laughs> where it's like, well, they have this segment where Sue's like, he was a nice guy. And everyone else is like, but was he? And then the book's just like, yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so kind of sure undoes all of that uh, narrative work. Well, in his description of Carrie, I, if I remember correctly, is the only one that is kind. Mm. I mean, see. Oh, yeah. When, when, well, yeah, when he goes to, eyes, to ask her, when we he goes see to a ask different her to description. The, yeah. The, mom. Yeah. When he sees her and she's like, oh, but I did kind of pretty. I did highlight one piece of his dialogue that now I'm like thinking about it. As I said, he's a good guy. Where he said, when he's talking about, he tells the story about how he kicked that kid in the ribs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Kicked that kid and ran because that kid was like a bully. But then when he's talking to her and he says, uh, it's not seventh grade anymore. And I had some kind of reason, even if it was a piss poor reason. What did that sad, silly bitch ever do to you? <laughs> <laughs> now, that... <laughs> I have this thing where I Imagine think... Imagine that conversation in the car. <laughs> I have this thing where I think movies should... Uh, the, the title of every movie should be its best line of dialogue. <laughs> uh, the, the, my classic yep. example is the movie You've Got Mail should be called Hello, It's Mr. Nasty. <laughs> um... <laughs> And I think that should be the, the the title of Carrie. It should be called That Sad Silly Bitch. That Sad Silly Bitch. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think we're getting here now that the plot is is rolling that Tommy asks Carrie out. And um, we get to the point where uh, we, we briefly mentioned, um, what's her name? The bad guy, Chris. Chris. Chris's father tries to sue the school but doesn't get his way gets shut the fuck down chris gets banned from prom and so she is swearing revenge on carrie Mm -hmm. and the school to a lesser extent what i'd like to talk about 
is one of the other villains, and another uh, kingism. Why is Billy a greaser? <laughs> Thank you. That is a very weird. He like down to like reading popular mechanics, <laughs> like standing yeah. in the corner. Like it, I couldn't help but thinking of like sometimes they come back. And Henry Bauer mm-hmm. popped to mind yes, immediately, yeah. but uh, Henry Bauer in it takes place in the fifties, <laughs> where greasers existed. <laughs> In this book, it is 1979, and Billy's like, Hey, yo, I'm uh, Danny Zuko over here. <laughs> uh, also famously played in the movie by uh, John Travolta. What? Wait. Yeah. Wait. In uh, the Sissy Spacek, what? Brian De Palma, Carrie movie, Billy is played by John Travolta. Oh, I wish I had brought my copy of John the book. Travolta it is the, the movie version, and in the middle of the book has a bunch of stills from the movie, huh. uh, including a hilarious picture of John Travolta. When we when we get finished reading this, I want to watch that. I want to rewatch it because I ha- also haven't seen that movie in so long. I don't yeah. believe I've ever seen it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. So movie night. Uh, well, yeah, movie night, guys. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we have um, this is something else, like now we're like we we have this. This plot development. I have another thing that I, I highlighted in, that comes from her Susan Snell book. The in the wake of two hundred deaths and the destruction of an entire town, it's easy to forget one thing: we were kids. We were kids. We were kids trying to do our best. And like, as I like, I read that and I like stopped for a minute and I was like, oh fuck! <laughs> like, yeah, they they are like sixteen years old. Yeah. Their like, brains are not even are, fully developed yet. Right. Like, it, it explains, you know, the, like, especially, like, Chris, like, how fast she jumps to the cruelest possible option mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of thing. It's just really interesting to me. Like, you you forget. It's it's kind of like referenced Lord of the Flies earlier. Like, you, you forget over the course of these things, the actions that people take, that, like, oh, my God, these are children. Mm-hmm. But it, they're so vicious. Yeah, I find it hard to excuse that by how absolutely brutal the shit that these kids do are like there's only so far that you can take ah you know kids will be kids (laughs) uh that goes out the window when they are slitting a pig's neck and draining it of all of its blood like uh classic pranks classic pranks classic pranks and doing it while that farmer is at his mom's funeral that like i was like weird detail yeah Yeah. fuck you stephen king (laughs) that's a weird choice (laughs) and then that like but it lets them end with that joke of like ah she must have been you know a thousand years old (laughs) as we drive away with our trunk full of pig blood so then so let's uh as we end the part one we're getting all of the all the pieces are are starting to take place. We've got Carrie going to prom. We've got uh, Chris stealing the ballot, and then we've got the um, what's his name Billy Billy and his crew. Wait, does she actually steal the ballot, or does she just see it and that's what inspires her? No, she takes it. She oh. takes there because it's a sample copy, and she takes. Okay, there's I, like, I think there's several, and she just. Once again, I read this book at four in the morning. Because it says she, I think it says she, like she shoves it in her purse. Ah, gotcha. Like she, there was like some other papers and she shoved it in her purse. Uh, well, wow. Uh, an unimportant detail that I'm sorry, Brian. <laughs> Let's continue. <laughs> uh, but of all of those details that are about to set up our, our finale here, the thing that I found the most satisfying, uh, it was Carrie standing up to her mom. Yes. And like, her mom going to swing at her, and she stops her arm in midair. The image of her mother on her knees and Carrie saying, stand up. And just, I can imagine her, like, just being lifted into the air. Such a satisfying part. Right. Where you're like, yeah, <laughs> get it, yeah. girl. Yeah, shit's gonna go down. And, like, throwing shit around, like, that mm-hmm. she's, we've spent all this time her, like, flexing a little bit, and then it... Just before that, she talks about, you know, the mental dam burst, and she starts remembering all the things she's done mm-hmm. all her whole life mm-hmm. that have been with this gift. But her taking it out on her mom right there. So good. So satisfying. satisfying yeah. And then when she's she goes downstairs to get the material, and she can hear her mom doing the exorcism <laughs> prayer above Ooh, her. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, fuck that bitch. <laughs> Uh, good book, guys. I, I'm excited to read the second half. I, uh, 
uh, as as much as I feel like we did kind of shit on this book a little bit. <laughs> um, I, I don't think we did. I think that just shows how much it has affected us just mm. in part one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so CM, you got to yes, see you have your notes there. <laughs> but we can, we can save this for the next one because we're out of time here. Uh, so maybe you guys just pay attention to the Dark Tower tie-in. See if you catch it. All right, oh, yeah. We actually see, see him about teased this. this before the show. Said she had a, a dark tower tie-in. Yeah. Uh, can, you, can I make a guess? That. Can I make All a guess as listeners. to what it was? <laughs> sure. Uh, and it's such a small thing, but it made my ears prick up. That at one point a character is listening to Hey Jude. No. No. Oh. Whoa. Okay. Oh man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. All right. So we'll we'll dive into that uh, after we we finish up the second half of Carrie and we'll have our kind of open discussion about, uh, about kind of everything we've covered today and more things that have come to us as we uh, cover the second half. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to our first episode of dairy public radio. Um, I've been Joshua Khan along with Benjamin Graham, CM Alexander. You guys want to say goodbye to the people long days goodbye. and pleasant nights. Good night. Hey everyone. This is CM Alexander. Thank you so much for listening to our very first episode, Carrie Part 1. We sincerely hope you enjoyed it, and if you didn't, we will do better next time. Our next episode will cover the rest of the book, Parts 2 and 3, and we're also going to watch the movie and have a brief discussion about movie versus book. We hope you'll read along with us and or watch the movie, even if you're already familiar with Carrie because it's really interesting and cool and definitely worth a second go or if you're like us a third or fourth go if you want to reach us for any reason you can do so on facebook at dairy public radio on twitter at dairy public and for some reason on instagram at dairy public radio and if social media is not your thing you can send us an email at dairy public radio at gmail.com thanks again for checking out our first episode we hope you'll join us for the second